again, once again, as I did mention, as she does each Thursday fortnight, is our Plantagenet and medieval expert, Carol Cusack. In our last meeting, Carol took us through the details of Joan of Arc's dramatic trial, where she was interrogated about communications with saints and uh, forced to wear men's clothing. And to resume the story, Carol is in the studio with us again. And I should point out, and we're very grateful to Sydney University for allowing Carol to the time to come and join with us here on The Footprint. Carol, how are you? Very well, John. And yourself? Yes, I'm fine. Carol, I got a, a call yesterday, a mysterious phone call, from uh, a, a Joan of Arcophile who ran by me the theory, I think his name was John, ran past me the theory that he'd struck that uh, Joan of Arc was suffering from some form of tuberculosis and that she was highly constipated and in fact in the fire her intestines wouldn't burn. Now, have you struck this theory? Yes, in fact, John, we even talked about it two meetings ago. Yes, um, but I thought the, I, the notion of, I, I of want you to knock this on the head. Because, oh, the tuberculomas. Yes, because uh, tuberculomas, quite right. Yes. Because, on uh, the left spheroidal temporal region of the brain, if I remember rightly. It's two yes, doctors. Yes, but it was more the intestines that... Oh, uh, that's calcification yes, of the, calci the organs. Yes, yes this, this seemed to be the concern of the listener, that mm. this, this theory that he felt was unerringly accurate, hmm. uh, should be advanced. Well, it's the theory of the Butterfields, John and Isabel Ann Butterfield. Hmm. And Were they there is, no, 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 they're doctors, medical doctors, and um, it's part of the great, you know, solving the mystery of Joan of Arc oh. thing. You know, lots of people are interested in it. Yeah. And it's quite a reasonable theory because that kind of calcification of the organs is a possible side effect. The difficulty is that we don't know if the organs were actually calcified. I mean, merely because there is a report, it is reputed that the organs didn't burn, doesn't mean A, that it's true, B, it might mean somebody's trying to indicate that there is in the presence of something holy or something remarkable, you know, that... Uh, well, I would have thought in those days, if the if bits didn't burn, you'd be more likely to suspect, you know... Fire and brimstone, no, interference, <laughs> demons. Interference from above. Yes. Than natural causes. Well, that is certainly true. But, I mean, the, the difficulty is, are the calcified organs really calcified organs or are they intimations by a medieval chronicler of some import su supernatural significance? Did they really exist? Do we know? Well, right. Well, uh, I mean, is there any hard evidence that the organs didn't burn apart from hearsay? No, but we did discuss last time yeah. the amazing death mask of a person who'd been who'd burned. Who'd been burned. Now, so now <laughs> well, yes. well, obviously that was a mask of someone else or they took a mask of her before she burnt or they decided only burn bits of her. Yes. Now, which is the more likely? Did they burn bits of people in those days? I think thought, it's well, very we'll likely get that... get the hose out once we've got to the waste? I mean, is that the way it worked? No, no I think it's quite likely that the mask is a fabrication. Um, or a Joan of Arc lookalike. Well, this is interesting because we're going to talk about Joan of Arc lookalikes today. The difficulty with Joan of Arc, and I would would um, paraphrase Régine Pernou, who's a French scholar here, who's made some interesting com commentation, comments on the subject. She says there's a very great difference between expounding the facts about Joan of Arc as they <laughs> appear in uh, sorry, Chronicle. Sorry, That's okay. I, I did notice you sneezed. Yes, um, it's a very different thing to expound facts mm. as they are found in Chronicles, etc., and then the question of actually finding an interpretation that fits them. And some of the interpretations of Joan are very bizarre. We've not talked about a number of them. The other one that's extraordinarily bizarre is that she was actually a royal bastard, that she was not really a peasant girl from um, 
Domremy at all, that she was a member of the royal family, and this is why Charles VII was so willing to talk to her and various other bits and pieces. This is why she called herself La Pucelle d'Orléans, because Orléans was the royal house yeah. and she wore the colours of the king, etc., etc. Now, this theory, in my opinion, is total rubbish, but many people have advanced it. The other popular theories are that Joan was a schizophrenic. Yeah. The testicular feminisation theory, Joan was actually a man. Uh, have we actually talked about this? No, is there, is there any, what, what's the evidence? Oh, it's a, it's a doctor again. No, no, it's a doctor who claims that she, we, we know she didn't menstruate. It's one of the things, I think I mentioned that yeah, one of did. the possibilities is yeah. anorexia. Yeah. Well, this particular doctor is very interested in the idea that she might have actually been oversupplied with testosterone yeah. and have had um, some variation of male organs that were contained within the body. So she looked outwardly female, but she actually lacked are genuine, genuine female characteristics. Oh. Now, I also spit on this theory absolutely. You spit on it? I spit on it, yes, because it just seems to me that so many of these theories are driven by people's hidden agendas. It's a trendy term, I know. But the testicular feminization theory is she just couldn't have done it because she was a girl, so she must have really been a bloke, even though she looked a bit like a girl. Well, and the royal family theory is... She couldn't have done it if she was a low-born peasant. Oh, my, she must have been a secret aristocrat who was initiated into the ways of running armies through her relations with the king and yeah. his family. That's just rubbish. Well, 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 what would we make of someone today who felt that they were in conversation with you know, beings from beyond the... You know, well, seriously, one of the things that now, started... Now, we'd have to say, and if they genuinely believe it, yes, yes, you know, someone came the other day and I saw them, we had yeah. a cup of tea and yeah. it was marvellous and they told me to go and, you know, see, I don't know, uh, see uh, Saddam Hussein and et cetera, et cetera. And you'd he probably, was going to be world dictator. Well, you'd, you'd probably have to say that, you know, probably... They were barking. They require some sort of psychological reassessment or some sort of attention. They, it's a cry for help. Yeah. Now, well, I, well, I got into this from that angle, actually, because a friend of mine, Geoffrey, who was, he's now out in private work, but for many years worked in state mental hospitals, said to me one day, do you realise that 65% of the people I see at, I think he was at the Macquarie Hospital at that time, yeah. they either think they're God or they think they've got some special relationship to God or beings surrounding him. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I went away and percolated on it. And actually, there are lots of them in the Middle Ages is particularly full of these people who spoke with God and spoke with the saints and did very strange things. Yes. But we've had some in the 20th century. Look at Rasputin. Yes, 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 yes. But ha you'd have to say there's something not quite right about them. Now, now, if you take the point of view that it's probably unlikely that Joan was talking to the saints. Is that likely? Now, who was she talking to? She was talking to herself. She was a person who required some sort of help. Yeah. Well, we, we mentioned this two meetings ago, I remember, yeah. too. I don't think she was really mentally uh, confused or defective or, or even particularly aberrant. The Middle Ages was a society where people expected to get messages from God. They expected to talk to Jesus and to God and to Mary as yeah. friends and saints. And these, these people were very real to them. And I did mention that I'm actually quite fond of the theory that it could really be auto-suggestion. 
in a climate which interprets such yeah. things. I've been teaching on Muhammad this week. Oh. He thought Allah spoke through him. He doesn't appear to have been loony at all. He was a very sane and rational individual. Yeah. He just had these very powerful intimations that he had an idea and that it came from God. And yeah. he told people that way. And I don't think we can really explain all prophets as mad. Obviously... Yes, but they're never put to the test. Well, this is certainly true. Never put to the test. You know, if that's the case, just one simple <sighs> test. You'd Who's going to win the fifth at Randwick on Saturday? Oh, but prophecy's not and just about telling the future. Of prophecy... course it is. No, it's not. Well, what's the point of telling us the past? We know it. But you see, the prophets in the Old Testament, the Nevim, they're actually social critics as much as they are foretellers of the future. They come with messages from the deity to indicate what is wrong with their society and where it can go right. And to that sense... In that sense, Joan follows a rather prophetic role. She says she sees what is the problem with the society. Yeah. The French are oppressed by the English. How can well, that problem be... Well, listening to voices from outside them, I'd say, the well, problem with the society. Well, you see, John, we have a problem. We, we live in the age of, of Jim Jones at Guyana and the, the, the Order of the Solar Temple people who've all just committed suicide or whatever it was, and we think they must all be mad. But I think there are sort of... If you read the documents, a lot of them don't look very mad to me. But people don't often look mad who are mad. Oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> no, it's... I mean, the remarkable thing about, you know, the invasion of privacy by television cameras in particular of people who've done, you know, dastardly things is they look quite ordinary. Well, that's interesting because one of the people you know, I did Ted Bundy, who... Oh, they, yes, yes. ...bird in Florida for, I know. you know, for, you know, killing so many people. Photograph of him, I was seeing him on television, he looked tremendous. You know, he'd say, what a lovely bloke. One of the people I wanted to mention today, talking about what happened after Joan, was of course, we, we've been talking about the Middle Ages, and I guess I try to emphasise the way in which the Middle Ages is like this world, our world, that, that there are people around who hear voices and have messages and have ideas. In the Middle Ages, there were serial killers. Joan knew one very, very well. He was even rather a friend of hers. She didn't dob him in? No, she, I don't think she knew. Or maybe he wasn't actually a serial killer at the time he knew her. This is the problem. His name was Gilles de Ray, and he was Marshal of France when Joan was leading the army. And that was a sort of fairly senior office. And uh, in the years following Joan's death, she was apparently very great and very strong influence on him. He used to abduct... Um, mutilate, rape and murder children, male children generally, who were of the peasantry. He was a uh, rich man, of course, and it was very possible peasant children disappeared all the time. You know, they went to nearby village to do a job. They never wrote. Their parents never mm. heard of them. They could just vanish. He is the origin of the legend of Bluebeard as well, and the wives, though, of course, actually, it's it's um, boys, not women in the original. So it was sanitised. Yes, for the, for the consumption by the masses. If mm. you think Bluebeard sanitised, I always thought it was rather frightening. Well, myself. yeah, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, the, the Middle Ages was full of people we would recognise, and I don't think Gilles de Ray looked particularly horrible either. I mean, he was... Uh, a personable man and, and for many years able yes, to sustain... Yes, but you'd have to say troubled. Troubled person. Yes. Well, I think he probably was was certainly mentally uh, very troubled. I'm not sure about Joan. I think she was a fantastically strong character. She had not very troubled. determined not, not, ideas. Not. I don't think she was troubled. No. Well, anyone who chooses, you know, to, you know, stand in the middle of town and have burning you know, stakes put under them and burned... She didn't I'd choose say that. I mean, if she'd, if she'd abjured, if she'd said she didn't hear the voices, if she'd lied to her inquisitors, would that have made her better? 
Well, she wouldn't have burned. <laughs> Maybe not. But, I mean, there are people nowadays who are in prison who are will not willing mm. to back down over their beliefs. Oh, sure. And, and this, is, this is an important but, but part. When, but you know? when, the when the beliefs are sort of a little bit... Loopy? Yeah. Hmm. Well, where are you on Salman Rushdie? Well, that's a good point. I mean, this, I'm is, with this Salman. is the universe we're looking at. I'm with at. Salman. Well, this is Joan was Joan was like Salmon. She was a critic of her system, and a person who was ultimately squashed by it. He's not squashed yet. Yeah, but he's been. Yes, yeah, all right. Yeah, no, I'd accept that. Yeah. Okay, I think there are slight differences, but anyway. Yeah, well, there we are. Of course, there are. But it's it's, it's an yeah. illustration. You yeah, know, it is what, an illustration. To see yeah, we won't argue the toss. Okay. Well, we might later. We might later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Well, the interesting thing about um, what happened after Joan of Arc's death, of course, is that firstly, two things. Uh, a lot of people refuse to believe she died. This is one of the things that actually feeds into the royal bastard theory because the royal bastard theory says that she was actually the love child of poor old Isabel of Bavaria and Louis d'Orléans, her brother-in-law. Um, Régine Pernoud po points out very sensibly that this is just rubbish. People in the Middle Ages never concealed bastardy. They weren't ashamed of it. Uh, Dunois, for example, whom she fought next to, was called Le Bâtard d'Orléans, Le Bastard of Orléans, mm. and he didn't have any problems. You know, it wasn't sort of an insult in any way. In fact, um, she gives a wonderful illustration in her book that I have here, um, which, in which she says that one uh, lord had an enormous number of bastards, 16 bastards. Mm. Um, Yes, Philippe the Good, Duke of Burgundy. Had, Philippe the Good. Yes, despite his three marriages, sixteen bastards, of whom one, Antoine, was called La Grande Batard, the Great Bastard, and bore that nickname without, as we would say, developing yeah. a complex. <laughs> so, did did was there any stigma attached to being a bastard? No, no. I mean, the church sort of thought that um, you really shouldn't. You know, yeah. all this sort of illicit bonking was naughty. Yeah. But. Um, well, people just did, and they were not socially discriminated against. In fact, um, Dunois, the bastard of Orleans, yeah. Louis' illegitimate son by Marat Denigan, um, he inherited quite as good uh, a, a yeah. property as his legitimate brothers and was given his own crest well, and title and all so that. So it was quite acceptable for the nobility to be, you know, out on the sort mm. of Errol Flynn end of the behaviours. Oh, well, they all wore tights, you know. Er the Errol analogy is quite a good one. <laughs> but that was quite acceptable. Well, and yeah. in the eyes of the church, was that not considered... Well, the church wouldn't punish the illegitimate children themselves. I mean, why No, 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 they? well, they wouldn't. But, no. but, but were they, you know... They weren't Did they condemn the behaviour of... Oh, yes. ...Philip the Good? Y yes. But you could confess, you know, and that would be okay. Oh, I see. Yes, of mm. course. I would recommend, actually, if anyone's interested, that the best book on Joan of Arc is Regine Pernoud, P-E-R-N-O-U-D. It's called Joan of Arc by Herself and Her Witnesses, and it's almost all extracts from the two trials and the right. other accounts. It's a really good book. Maria Five Dock went to Dom Remy's school in Five Dock, which was inspired by Joan. Yes, named after her yeah. hometown. Mm. And she's horrified about these theories of Joan as mad. Well, I agree, because yeah, I don't think right. she's mad either. Right, all right, good. I think she's a strong character. She's possibly single-minded, possibly obsessive, right. but that is not mad. Okay. Now, these people who impersonated her... Oh, Claude D'Amoise was hey. her name. <laughs> all right. Um, there were a number of people who imitated Joan. This whole thing about she didn't die. People can never really cope with the idea that their heroes have died. Yeah. You know, it's often hard to believe. You know, you say, I saw them dead. And look at Elvis. Elvis lives, according to a million loonies. 
Um, ah, you accept them as being known. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Joan was reported every now and then to be seen somewhere. Mm. And the most famous of these, as I say, is this woman called Claude de Now, in 1436, she turns up in a chronicle, mm. and it says... The maid Joan, who had been in France, went to La Grande Orme near saint Privoise. She was led there to talk to some of the Lords of Metz, and she called herself Claude. On the same day there came to see her her two brothers, one of whom was called Pierre and the other Petit Jean. They saw her and they recognised her and she recognised them. And there's a whole lot more in this life. And yeah. she did. She was recognised, accepted by Joan's uh, brothers. But Joan had been dead a number of years. Um, it's often true that medieval people didn't know each other. I mean, I know this sounds like they were mad, they were all mad or backward or something, yeah. but I don't know if the listeners have seen, seen a wonderful film called The Return of Martin Guerre yeah. with uh, Gerard Depardieu and no, Natalie no, Bye in it. Right. it was, it's about 12 years old, and it's about a very famous impersonation which occurred during the Hundred Years' War where a man who'd been away fighting came back to his village and he said he was Martin Guerre, yeah. and his wife accepted him and the family accepted him and he went to work there, and the, they liked him a great deal more when he came back than the person who'd gone away. Mm. And uh, there were little suspicious incidents, some things he didn't seem to know, but he and the wife lived for a while, had a number of children, and yeah. then all of a sudden Martin himself came back. And and his wife didn't recognise? Well, didn't, at the very end... wasn't of suspicious in any way. There's, there weren't there's any telltale signs. There's a trial deposition, and she admits at the end that after quite some time, oh. she knew it wasn't her husband, but she loved him, and mm. she was happier with him, and... She had a much better life than as an abandoned wife whose husband had yeah. gone off soldiering. Right. And so it, by the end, she decided she didn't, give, she didn't really care. Didn't really care. But mm. um, initially, no, she didn't know him. So, but Joan, people who, did, did people in fact impersonate Joan of Arc? Well, this woman deliberately did. Yes, she yes. said, I am the maid Joan. Yeah. And she made contact with Joan's brothers yeah. and they said they, they recognised her. Yeah. But whether they really knew her all that well or had been with her all that much was not clear. She got married to Robert d'Armoise. Mm. Um, she disappeared, of course, when she realised that things sort of, some of her impersonations weren't going to go that well. The interesting thing is she didn't go to any towns where there were lots of people who knew Joan. Some people who did know Joan mm. saw her and obviously there must have been a strong physical resemblance. But, for example, she did not go to Domremy. She did not go uh -huh. to Reims or Paris. She spent a little bit of time in Orléans, but Joan was only there for about two months right. in the whole time. And most of the time she moved around towns like Metz and Cologne, which weren't even really in France. Yes. But the repute of Joan was such that but, you know people recognised. Was this just a way of say dining off Joan's fame? Well, most definitely. Yeah. So and did she entertain people and tell stories? Well, they entertained her. They paid for the banquets and sort of deal. <laughs> That's what one of the reasons for doing it, it was quite yeah. lucrative. Yeah. But it came to how many of them were there? Dozens? Like no, Jones no, there were there were about three. Right. But Claude Damoise is the only really famous one. Mm. Um, and did any time they? fess up and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, fair cop. Well, yeah, I wasn't Joan." No. She's supposed to have when she finally met. Charles VII, Joan's uh, dear Dauphin, you know, who was then the king, um, he actually put an end to all of this rubbish by um, basically deciding that he had to actually dig into the matter of Joan, which is in 1450. Um, 
she had been dead some number of years, 20 odd years. And this is when the trial of rehabilitation starts, where he goes around and he interviews all the surviving members of the inquisitorial panel, the villagers who knew her when she was a child, her parents, her uncles and godfathers and all those kinds of things, to get the picture. And indeed, it's a very biased trial. When I say we've got good documents for Joan, we have. But you've got to remember his opinion is clear. He wants her exonerated. So when you look at the depositions of the villagers who knew her, they all say things like... Fabulous um, person. She was... Always um, very kind to me. Joan, called the maid, was a good and simple girl, pious, well brought up, fearing God, so much so that she had not her equal in the town. She often confessed her sins to the priest. That's her Etienne de Son, who's the priest, whom she she Do the priest vouch for that? Yep. Mm. Uh, but he was not the priest. Yes, he was the priest who knew her, Etienne de Song. Um, her uncles and her godfather said things like her parents were most godly, they were very good, we all knew this, etc., etc. So indeed, he was looking for that kind of evidence. But he turned up some interesting things because the brother Seguin Seguin, whom I mentioned two meetings ago, the fellow yeah. whose, whose accent she mocked, um, he was alive then and he pointed out that the church were very confused about what had actually happened because the trial had actually condemned her as a heretic and various other things but they'd allowed her to take communion and be confessed before she was burnt which is highly irregular I mean is she in the church or is she out of the church because usually they if you're going to go they want you to go down that's right yeah they want you to go to hell yes and Martin Labvenu and Isambard de la Pierre brought her the sacrament and heard her confession and this was all done with the permission of the inquisitors they didn't do it Mm. independently or wickedly or anything and the inquisitors sent the record to the Vatican saying we have done this, and this yeah. is one of the reasons why, and the, and the Register of Paris has a, a copy of it as well. But obviously there were ambiguities. Was she in or was she out? Yeah. And so Charles had a good foothold to extract himself from this problematical situation by saying ultimately the verdict of church was she was still in. And, and still in. Uh, and then the... Uh, Everybody gave their deposition saying what a good girl she was. And, and then the quest for sainthood. Well, the quest yeah. for sainthood doesn't happen until the 20th century. And Oy, that's a very that's right. political yes, that's thing. Right. That's um, right. People often say to me, well, why did it take till 1920 for her to get canonised? Yes. But it was part of the package <coughs> that France was given literally after World War One, Because she came from Alsace-Lorraine, that's where Dom Remy is, that was annexed by the Germans before the First World War. Um, she's a militant nationalist saint who led France to liberty. Remember how France had been a, a, oppressed during mm. the 14 to 18 war. I'm not saying that the Catholics didn't go through the right procedure. They no. did, and the, they had the right number of attested miracles, etc., etc. How yeah. that all works, I'm not too well, sure. Well, I think there have to be a couple of miracles Three. found. Three. Three betw- yeah. No, but between beatification and canonisation, mm. I think you've got to get a, two more there. Yep. So there must have been some miracles early this century. Yeah. I don't know really the details, mm. but it just seems to me that that it's a very obviously political time. The Treaty of, of <laughs> Versailles settles World War 1 mm. and France gets their land back. They get Alsace-Lorraine containing Dom Remy back mm. and they get their militant nationalist saint. After all. Yeah. Diana of New oh, Di- of Newport believes Joan was uh, Claire from Martin Guerre, oh. putting it in the 19th century and setting it in America. It's an infinitely more feeble film. Martin Guerre is one of the great masterpieces of French cinema. You would not see a better film. It's stunning. Big rap. Carol Cusack. Carol, thank you for this. And Carol will be speaking with them again roughly in a fortnight's time. Carol uh, is a, obviously a lecturer at Sydney University. Coming up very shortly will be the news headlines.
then we have some tremendous materials to offload and then HG Nelson will be here in the studio with us as well. Uh, it's just after 3.30. John Greaves, what's the news? John, you just in state.